0: Hello, everyone, and welcome to our new segment, Madam Musings. You guys know Amy and I wear a lot of hats in this business. Every few weeks or so, I don my writer's cap, pick up my quill, and craft a post for the blog that we call, you guessed it, Madam Musings. While we certainly dive deeply into Marvel films and shows on the podcast, the blog gives us the opportunity to explore certain topics in more depth and across a broader range of content but we know not everyone has the time or the inclination to read a blog post. So for all of you who prefer a quick listen, here's this month's post entitled The Misogyny of the Raimi Trilogy. Many forces can blind people. Love, hate, fear, to name a few. But there's another concept, particularly in fandom, that can influence memories and perspective even more. Nostalgia. That's the case with the original Spidey franchise. Spider-Man and Spider-Man 2 were global juggernauts billed as the first truly modern comic book films. Many people who'd never read a comic saw them as a gateway into the world of superhero movies. But 20 years later, nostalgia is blinding people to what they would rather not see, the egregious misogyny of the Raimi trilogy. In 2022, we now have quite a collection of live-action comic book films. None represent women as poorly as Sam Raimi's Spider-Man trilogy. The fact that these movies, at least the first two, are still revered is proof that society hasn't come as far as we'd like to think. The women in the Maguire Spidey franchise are not characters. They are sexist caricatures created by men who couldn't be bothered with female stories. The women fall into four categories. The object of desire, the damsel in distress, the plot device, and the bitch. My analysis will focus primarily on three women, Mary Jane Watson, May Parker, and Gwen Stacy, but I'll mention some other important ladies as well. Now, take off your nostalgia goggles and let's dive in. The object of desire. It's telling that Sam Raimi introduced Mary Jane Watson through Peter Parker's eyes because she is never a person in her own right. Though the script is very inconsistent regarding Peter and MJ's history, it's clear that Peter is not in love with the girl next door. Rather, he's obsessed with a fantasy built upon a person he barely knows. MJ somehow lands a modeling campaign in Spider-Man 2. While the billboards pedal perfume on every corner, Her face takes center stage as a gratuitous reminder of her status. Love interest. As if this isn't demeaning enough, MJ's relegation is juxtaposed with Harry Osborn's elevation to head of special projects at Oscorp, a position for which he has no skills, experience, or qualifications of any kind. But wait, there is more. Gwen Stacy gets treated much like her redheaded counterpart. She is Peter's classmate and lab partner. The powers that be could have kept her role at that, but they double down on objectification. So Gwen is a model for no apparent reason. She's also the love interest of not one, but two men, though I use men loosely in describing Eddie Brock and Peter Parker. When we meet Brock, it's obvious he's a sociopath akin to Louis Bloom and Nightcrawler. Brock views Gwen not as a person, but as a trophy to be won. And the misogyny of the Raimi trilogy only gets worse from there. The Damsel in Distress Let's tally up our sexism scoreboard, shall we? MJ Watson. Three assaults, three kidnappings, and four rescues. May Parker. One assault, one kidnapping, and two rescues. Gwen Stacy. Half an assault, no kidnappings, and one rescue. MJ won the Raimi trilogy's Victim Olympics, but I'm not giving her a gold medal. A man would just come along and strangle her with it. You might notice something interesting, though. MJ's rescues don't balance with her assaults and abductions. That's because MJ is attacked by not one, but both of the franchise's ultimate good guys. Harry Osborn a character worsened by the deplorable James Franco, nearly chokes MJ in her apartment. And in a scene I still can't fathom, Peter Parker humiliates MJ at work and backhands her to the ground. Our heroes, folks. Female agency in these movies is like Venom Goo. The writers had to make sure it wouldn't creep in and accidentally empower MJ. So on top of her misadventures, those clever scribes gave MJ one line to nip disaster in the bud. I can't survive without you. And remember, you is a man child who cannot hold a job, pay his rent, or eat a hot dog properly. Aunt May takes silver in the Victim Olympics, which fits her status as the hapless old widow. Sam Raimi was kind enough to give us visual aid there. We won't hold our breath for babushkas to make a comeback. Even if we take out the Goblin's attack and Doc Ock's brief abduction, May Parker would still look helpless. After Ben's death, the writers systematically strip May's power. One, her home goes into foreclosure. Two, she ignores the notices because she can't cope with reality. Three, she needs her grandson to help her fix the mess. Four, she loses her home. Unfortunately, the indignities don't stop there. More on Aunt May in a bit. Finally, we have bronze medalist Gwen Stacy, who only suffers half an assault and one Runaway Crane debacle. By the way, where's that movie, Netflix? Runaway Crane, starring Nicolas Cage, would be preferable to any of the McGuire Spideys. Miss Stacy's math may also seem hinky, but hear me out. A half assault occurs when a creep creepily projects an intimate relationship upon a woman he hardly knows. Did you see Eddie Brock? Nuff said. The plot device The Raimi trilogy is the patriarchy at its worst. Every female in these movies exists solely to serve the needs of men, making the women pawns in a chess match between heroes and villains. As usual, MJ takes the brunt of this insult. She's viciously accosted in a dark alley so Peter can play the hero. She is villain bait to raise the emotional stakes for him. And she's a chew toy over which Harry and Peter can fight. MJ is emotionally and physically abused to show just how much the symbiote is influencing Peter, or so the movie wants us to believe. And worst of all, She wordlessly resumes a relationship with Peter so our quote-unquote hero can have a happy ending. May Parker's only value is in supporting Peter. As long as she could provide him with cookies, guidance, and engagement rings Peter couldn't afford, the writers kept her around. At no point in the three movies is May shown to have a life or interests outside of her nephew. Gwen Stacy is less of a chew toy and more of a tool. She exists mainly to create conflict between MJ and Peter. But she also weirdly serves to give Eddie Brock more motivation to kill Spider-Man. I'll have plenty more to say about Mr. Brock shortly. Then we have a few more ladies who don't escape unscathed. There's Death by Shrapnel for Rosalie Octavius. Her loss gives Doc Ock a modicum of motivation for his villainy. We also have Ursula, the landlord's daughter. She's arguably the most bizarre character in this franchise. Ursula is ego-boost Barbie, existing only to fawn over Peter, bring him dessert, and take his messages. Then there's poor Miss Brandt, who suffers the tirades of J. Jonah Jameson every day. Elizabeth Banks, it's not your fault. The Bitch I don't think Sam Raimi or the franchise's other writers hate women. The misogyny of the Raimi trilogy is careless rather than malicious. That doesn't make it less insidious, though, especially regarding this category. In making MJ the main sacrificial lamb for Peter's arc, they also made her a terrible human being. This validates the sexist attitudes of a certain type of male. Spider-Man 2 finds MJ engaged to John Jameson. But she doesn't really want the decent guy who seems to truly love her and treat her well. MJ is just using John to stir up Peter, the immature jerk who constantly disappoints her. With no regard for John's feelings or the expense of the wedding, MJ gleefully leaves him at the altar. That is ice cold. The degradation continues in Spider-Man 3 when MJ cheats on Peter with Harry for no apparent reason. But the capper comes at the very end. Even though Peter has kissed another woman, humiliated MJ at her workplace, and hit her, MJ returns to him without a word of discussion. So what's the message here? The incels and nice guys are right. Women are fickle bitches who want men to treat them poorly. Thus, they deserve it. And the macro-reinforcement comes when every woman on the screen salivates over black-suited, malevolent Peter Parker. Ladies, let me know if your skin crawls watching that montage. Mine sure does. Now, I've pummeled the Raimi trilogy pretty hard, and rightly so. But to be fair, These films are hardly the only ones still beloved despite their glaring misogyny. I'm looking at you, The Godfather, Snow White, Grease, and Mr. Bond, just to name a few of many. And sexism is by no means the only problem nostalgia can cloud. Just looking at Raimi's Spider Man franchise, the near total lack of and treatment of people of color could be its own post. Most decent people. Have a line when it comes to their content. You won't find many folks these days watching The Cosby Show or praising an Army Hammer performance, nor do you see a lot of Kaiser Soze t shirts anymore. Those types of lines are pretty clear, but it's the blurry ones that demand more attention. Society is experiencing a great cultural shift in terms of representation in film. We're headed in the right direction, but we'll never reach our destination unless we acknowledge the sins of the past and take overtly sexist, racist, or otherwise reprehensible films off their pedestals. And while you're up there, help MJ Watson down off of hers, too. Thanks for listening, everyone. If you'd like to share your thoughts on this post, you can comment directly on the blog. The link is in the episode notes. You can also chat with us on Twitter and Instagram at MarvelMadams, or email us your feedback at themarvelousmadams at gmail.com. Stay tuned for future installments of Madam Musings.